pleased to present Avital Ronel's survival kit for the anguish. Avital Ronel is professor at the New York University, and since January 2020, she's invited by the Rencontre Philosophique de Monaco as guest philosopher in residence, a prolific author internationally known in the fields of philosophy, German literature, comparative literature. We are very pleased and we hope you enjoy Avital Ronel's survival kit for the anguished. Hello, everyone. This is Avital. We are going to continue to scour the unconscious of our current predicament. And I thought we would consider together today, it's a meeting, so it's, let's face it, a commitment. It's something that is beginning to get installed as a structure of um, cabling forth to you through me. I'm just a transmitter. I'm a technological device that's trying to um, organize some philosophical and poetical thought. And I'm also propped up by psychoanalytic training in an intellectual context. I'm not a shrink, but I am almost that. So I wanted to remind us that we're in an intersection of intimacy and politics, of inside and outside, where the boundaries, even though we're in strict confinement, at least here in Paris, where I'm speaking to you from, the boundaries are not uh, stabilized of what constitutes an inside and what constitutes an outside, what is strictly intimate or interior to a space of something provisionally that we could call consciousness or what belongs to an outside. For Freud, the outside was invented by reality testing. In reality testing, the ego sends out a messenger to find out if something is truly happening or has happened, very often in terms of the loss of someone dear or some traumatic um, fallout, absorb or understand. So you send out a messenger to find out if that shattering departure has indeed begun take place or even terminated at some station of um, pain. So reality comes back in the form of that messenger that's sent out. And very often, as in the cliche, don't kill the messenger, one wants to kill the message transported by the reality principle, which is yes, the person is gone, someone has died, something traumatic has taken place and you need to start the work of integrating it, not necessarily by killing the messenger. But in any case, this structure of sending out a, a function of the ego to verify, corroborate, and confirm to you that something has happened is the first creation of an outside so you see, it already is an effect of a more internally situated function. 
Be that as it may, today I wanted to consider with you the experience of shareability um, and what that means in terms of our intimate confinements, social distancing, and certain kinds of implemented alienation that some of you have always experienced and discovered in your relation, not only to an other that might be located outside, but even to what we could call an internal alterity. So there's something indwelling and in you if we can stabilize only momentarily the interiors of inside and outside. So when I say in you, um, I'm just trying to move it along without um, being as rigorous as I would want to be. In other words, last time we asked, where is the in of being in the world? Is that a location? Or as the great poet Paul Ceylon said about his explorations, is it an unware, an unvo, something that can't be strictly located, including the emergence of a disease? How do we temporally understand latency? When does it arrive? What are the itineraries of pain? And by the time we appropriate pain to ourselves and say, oh, this hurts, it may have been building up and moving along and mapping sites that we were unaware of. So we want to be aware, if we can, of the displacements, the unware, the difficulty of locating ourselves now and in illness or simulated illness, because when you're stuck at home, you're behaving like a sick person. You're limited in your movement. You're also behaving like someone who's been stripped of freedom. For Hannah Arendt, whom we'll be consulting today, Freedom is the freedom of movement, which we'll pick up soon, but with a lot of um, trepidation and worry, no doubt, because something has been fundamentally impeded in our ability to move, in the so-called freedom of movement. But it may be something that reveals impediments that were always there and that we might have needed to disavow in order to get along with life and get on with life. So let us just consider the experience of shareability under present circumstances, or as it was always rendered problematic and desirable who shares, who refuses to share. According to Hannah Arendt, the Greeks were very uh, emphatic about their readiness to share the world. And they did so by, by inviting a thought of friendship that, is, that was also towed by, by political exigency. So that for Hannah Arendt, what's important in friendship, and we've begun to lay a track of friendship in despair, 
friendship in illness, friendship as an address. You call out to your friend, you summon friendship, but we haven't yet um, considered some of the finer print in the contracts drawn up by friendship. And in a work that uh, some of you are familiar with or friendly with and friendly to, the work of Derrida, my teacher and mentor, um, which is called The Politics of Friendship. So how does friendship prime politics or how does it allow you to step aside and retreat in your minds from politics? Um, this is something that Hannah Arendt, great political theorist, um, urges us to consider more closely. She sees politics and friendship as co-intricated. Um, so she is especially keen on finding a way of binding friendship to political action and viability. So she splits two kinds of traditions of friendships according to proper names that are mostly familiar to all of us. But if not, you'll have the joy of a treasure trove that you can attach to these names, namely Rousseau and uh, Lessing. For Hannah Arendt, Rousseau, who drummed up a lot of compassion and a certain type of friendship that, that predominates nowadays, is to be, let's say, tagged out for having created a kind, what I would call, and this is intent with a certain notion of illness or unwellness, I would call it a palliative quality of friendship that he promoted and sustained in a way that uh, kind of freaks out Hannah Arendt because his type of friendship, which has prevailed in many ways, and you'll recognize yourselves in this, no doubt, you'll recognize that you're inscribed in Rousseau's understanding of what friendship should and must be. Whereas Lessing will have a different kind of friendship in mind. So for Rousseau, when you're not well and you want to back off from the world and you need to beat a retreat or you're beaten down by the world and therefore you're um, carrying at least a small dose of misanthropy, which means that you don't really like people you retreat into a form of palliative, what I'm calling palliative friendship. You, you seek their palliative counsel. In other words, you retreat to secret chambers of palliative counsel, sheltering association, a kind of um, privacy that you cherish with the friend that can take place in intimate face-to-face -face encounters and private spaces of social defeat. So I'm trying to set up a number of, of motifs for us to consider. 
especially nowadays when the privacy of uh, a face-to-face encounter is going to be more and more endangering. So there'll be other kinds of dimensions that must be added on to the contemplation of friendship uh, since we are faced with the viral load of the other that can take you down. Um, Will such a privacy, unless it's circuited through technology and then we have extra layers and membranes of interiority, exteriority, and other supplementary complications of where to locate the communication, if it is a communication, of friendship. So let me just say that Rousseau for Hannah Arendt represents a retreat to a kind of, when I say palliative, I mean that you have a friend to help you cope with your pain and anguish, which we discussed last week, the language of anguish, um, language. Um, You have a friend, you call upon a friend, you appeal to a friend, you petition and plea a friend in order to help you carry an impossible pain or make it possible or make it something that you share with the friend. Hannah Arendt thinks this is a really unfortunate detour that um, not only is premised by kind of hatred of the world and of people, but so um, depends on turning away from a political obligation. And in obligation, you have ligature or legation. So you want to ligature to political, um, let's say, refinements of coexistence that a Rousseau-like friendship um, dissuades you from pursuing. In other words, when you seek out the friend to help you with a calamitous or not so calamitous um, event, not an event, a breakup, um, dismay, despair, uh, a job problem, then you are withdrawing from the world with the friend and using friendship as a way of numbing out, dumbing down, and drugging yourself so that you don't need to face the other type of call of friendship that Hannah Arendt associates with Lessing, which is something that enjoins you to generate modes of nearness, and um, the exigency, the need for social bonding, um, which is always a political commitment that you make. So I didn't mean to to simplify, and I'm sure I don't, the two main uh, modalities of friendship that that consternate and concern and also inspire. Hannah Arendt, Lessing would be the one who enjoins you in friendship to step up and make political demands on your world, on your on your friends, um, and it and on yourself. Through the other, you are enjoined to 
be politically alert, awake, woke, uh, with the program, against the program, in dissidence, but at least through the other, you're already beginning to construct a thinking of politics and your obligations. This Lessing-like, um, um, let's say, ethics of ship or it's not only ethics, which Americans misuse and sometimes puzzle European thinkers. Um, ethics seems to be a kind of cover-up for very often for problems that are disavowed. So let's put a little red flag on ethics, not because it's um, going to be dismissed as unimportant, but on the contrary, because the uses and abuses to which it's been put um, make us wonder if there's a little psychoticization going on around the signifier ethics. Be that as it may, um, Hannah Arendt develops a kind of understanding of friendship that, unlike with Rousseau, that is in Rousseau based on a sense of defeat and you've been messed with, fucked over, and you can't handle it anymore, and your friend's going to help you um, heal and dress the wounds. With Lessing, there's another kind of, um, let's say, being in the world as a friend, which is based on joy. And this may sound weird. It's the it's provisionally opposed to Rousseau's practice and need of friendship, uh, to the extent that he needs friendship, or any of us do. So I want to consider what that means that Hannah Arendt insists on joy, on taking pleasure in the other, to want the other to exist, to jubilate, to have a relation that is permeated by pleasure in the other person and what she says. So there's also, last time we talked about very quickly, an addiction to language, but in friendship, there's also a kind of you're stoked you're enlivened, you're cheered, you're, you're bursting in laughter sometimes, not always. And I don't mean to indicate a manic um, pump here or to install one, but there's something about gladness tunes you to the world and invites a politics that is generous open to the other as a beseeching immigrant, as a um, lost soul, but not in terms of something like compassion, which Hannah Arendt disdains. And that may seem very weird to us in our era of maybe faux or maybe authentic, in a million quotation marks, compassion. Uh, what does it mean to have compassion for the other, for les misérables or uh, les malheureux, um, the, the people who are in misery or in penury or unwell? Hannah Arendt slams that, which is initially for our Christianized affect 
um, repertoire, very surprising, right? But what she says is that compassion doesn't cut it, and it, it doesn't last for more than a minute, usually, and it doesn't do anything politically viable. Yeah, very nice that you have compassion for the impoverished, the persecuted, someone who's been um, really desecrated and embarrassed and humiliated. Very nice of you to have something like um, a tip of pity for the insulted and the injured, but who cares? I'm, of course, uh, translating Arendt, but I'm not never far from her as I read her and, and transpose her to our present day situations and and worries and contemplations. Now, how could it be justifiable to disdain compassion for the other? Well, Hannah Arendt says that okay, whatever, if you show the affect of compassion, if that's what it is, and you feel for the other, it's just not enough. How about justice for all? And we don't care how you feel or what your little um, bourgeois emotional capacities are or limitations are. What about if we don't get involved with your so-called capacity for so-called compassion? What about just seriously intervening, helping out, making sure that justice prevails? So for Hannah Arendt, if I'm catching her drift, and I believe I am, because I put a lot of study to it, and I also pulled my narcissistic investment out of her text, meaning I really am trying to attune and listen to what her anguish language tells us um, and where it takes us and where it also separates us off from feel-good um, emotivity or affectivity. And it's true. Maybe you feel good when you show and feel your own compassion for the other, but it's bullshit according to her. What you need to do is assure the conditions for serious justice to be uh, offered, to be secured, because it's not up to you to offer justice, but maybe it is. Maybe it, it should be part of your practice. And if you don't know how that's to be done, figure it out. How is it that you can assure that justice be granted and secured for all. And what does that require of you? Now, according to Lessing, that's what friendship um, pushes on you and pressures you to uh, perform time and again, so that in his famous uh, play called Nathan der Weiser, so Nathan the Wise, and Nathan is a surprise Jewish, so very persecuted and marginalized, but he's trying to make friends with the not so um, compassionate Gentiles in the in the text. Lessing was known for his anger, his rage, his his disdain for the withholding of justice for Muslims and Jews and minorities. So he wasn't that. 
surprised by a culture that continued to be in awe of him, but never really admitted him or understood him, as Hannah Arendt said. And there's a famous um, Lessing rage. Now, Lessing is a figure of the Enlightenment, so um, it's great to have to see how rage fuels enlightened being. What does it mean when you have to get angry and pissed off? Hannah Arendt troubles herself to really analyze what just anger is. In, in other words, the justice of anger, the indignation, the necessary um, empörung in German, or when you're riled up and feel that justice has been in certain regional moments and situations defeated. So here we have two different modalities of friendship. I'm, I'm going over it much too quickly, but it has something to do also with the way you fall ill, you protect yourself, you withdraw from world, or in Lessing's kind of um, admonition to us to rethink friendship, your um, relation to the other, which is requires you to to clear all sorts of abysses. The abyss of human relations is unending. But your relation to the other is what ought to make the world renewable, even in its shattering, so that Hannah Arendt tracks what is world-binding. What binds us to the world, even when everything is falling apart, even when we no longer can say the world as if there were only one or as if something held together or held up. But friendship is what urges you to act as if there were a world that, of, that we can make together, that we can revolutionize, perhaps. Now, this is not Hannah Arendt right now, she doesn't introduce the as if. That's my reading and my um, reversion to Kant. She was a great student of Kant who brought to us the thinking of the as if. Sometimes you are enjoined to act as if the world made sense, and that is your greatest um, obligation to act as if the way to do that, according to Lessing and Hannah Arendt's um, pickup game with Lessing, is to bring to the world, even if it doesn't pre-exist this performative affect. In other words, the world is bound to rebound if you bring it joy, if you find joy in the other. And Hannah Arendt says that joy in friendship and politics, which the Greeks taught us, we might think of Nietzsche's appreciation of the Greeks in this regard, because the Greeks had a cheerfulness, a surface, beautiful surface cheerfulness that did not deny their basic tragic sensibility. So when you bring joy 
even in the most mournful situations. And this is what poets do. You are um, generating modes of nearness. You're throwing bridges across the abyss of racial and other um, relations. And I, I didn't mean to come up with racializations and so on. That's for another discussion. It's very urgent that we see how COVID-19 is also exposing the horrors, in case anyone was surprised by this, of racist um, indignity. But in any case, bringing joy and being tuned to gladness permeated by pleasure in the other person and what she says, what he says, what they say, is what um, responds to the political and social requirements of being in the world, even if the world disappoints and leaves us in the dark and leaves us alone in some ways. For Hannah Arendt, um, she says that what's talkative in the sense of a deeply important human conversation, and that would be a, a track of its own making if we discussed conversation in, in philosophy and poetry and psychoanalysis, which I hope to be able to approach with you, um, that joy, when you bring it to conversation, is what makes Gespräch, conversation, makes us um, bind to one another and salute and bring to light the world each time anew. So Hannah Arendt says that it's joy and not sadness that we should be sharing, which is something that I try to practice, but I go into types of impishness and uh, some sorts of pleasure-principled chokiness and um, even the joy that Freud described of smut. What pleasure do we take in cursing and in, in using certain kinds of unauthorized language codes when we're doing philosophy, which loves to go into unauthorized zones and dig up the shit. But that's neither here nor there. What um, Hannah Arendt urges us to do in the darkest times is to bring joy to the table. And um, that's not easy. It's a practice every morning to affirm joyfully and cheerfully, not in a stupid, enthusiastic American way. God bless. I, um, I don't mean to say, oh, it's great. Wow. And all of those cartoonish um, affect ciphers. But to really bring up and bring forth the joy, especially in joylessness of certain kinds of necessary relations. So we might consider that further and see if it's um, something that speaks to us in fundamental ways. Let me just wrap it up by saying that for Aristotle, who would bring in another strand of friendship, um, 
there's no symmetry in in friendship. You can't just grab onto the friend or annex them narcissistically or make them part of you or he's like a brother, he's a part of me, because that doesn't allow the distance, the distance, the social distance to recognize what Levinas will call the majestic escalate of the other, which is something that you can't simply understand, mirror, echo, repeat. It's just rather ineffable in certain ways. Um, And you can understand effable as you wish. But for Aristotle, you're to revere and love the friend in a mode that is based on non-requirement, that you don't ask anything of the friend, you don't require anything, you don't require even their liking you, which we need much more time to develop and understand, but rather you revere them as you would your ancestors. And with that kind of loving alienation and distance, something might happen and transpire in the creation of world and relatedness to one another and the world that has been unanticipated. Well, I'll talk to you next time again. I wish you strength and care and um, a lot of joy in a non-stupid way. Bye.